Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Iniesta's in the middle. Torres is trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it. Hello, big interview listeners, and welcome to the final part of this mini-series, World Cup 2010 Revista. It's World Cup final day, or at least it was 10 years ago. Spain were there. Hey, Holland were there. Grim Hunter, what were you up to on the 11th of July 2010? Uh, it involves beer. It, it involves um, artful dodger behaviour. Let's not reveal right now who wins, Neil, shall we? Let's just agree on that, that... We'll use that as a tease. It involves a bowler hat. It genuinely does involve angry negotiations. And it involves the single most heart-stopping moment I've ever had in my professional career. And, and very nearly the most... It's in the top three heart-stopping moments of my entire life. That's, that's great. That's like a trailer for the story that we're about to tell. I like it. And the strange, the strange thing is... It, it's all true. <laughs> Based on a true story. In, what, is it inspired by real events? Isn't that what they're saying? <laughs> well, it was inspiring to live through them, I'll tell you that much. We're going to Soccer City. We're going to the World Cup final. But let's start at Poch, where the majority of this story has taken place. It's Spain's training camp, and it's been the sort of ground zero for their, for their assault on this tournament. And I guess... If we go to the aftermath of the semi-final victory over Germany, which featured, of course, in our last episode, listeners, you guys suddenly realise that it's almost time to say goodbye. It is, but they, um, that's, yeah, I'm going to leave old Potchefstroom. Who was that, Roger, Roger, somebody? I can't remember. Anyway, this is not emotional, though. This is about the practicalities of what happens because there are two things in a football sense. I watch one of the training drills, um, which at the time I find to be the most extraordinary I've seen in, in my life, what, being able to watch the preparation for professional football. Because this training drill is where um, Spain are patently thinking about um, can they catch Holland high up the pitch? And 
Dabowski sets it up with one goalkeeper and one defender, and they, they go through a rotor of who that one keeper is between you know all three of those who are there, um, who are Iker, Pepe Reina and Vitavaldis. They go through a rotor of who the single defender is, and a single defender can be a central defender or a full-back, and they go through the full rotor of attacking players who are the three. So it will be set up whereby um, the goalkeeper and the single defender organise themselves wherever they wish to be in their half and three attackers get given the ball in one way or another, maybe tossed them and maybe tossed in front of them, maybe low, maybe high, but it's by one of the coaching staff, the three attackers start in the halfway line and then bear down three on two, if you like, but I stress again, one defender, one goalkeeper. The, the odds look impossible. A three V one outfield player and a keeper as a neutral, as, as, as an observer, it, it feels like, particularly if you're elite attackers, you should score every single time. And when the rota comes round to Pepe Reina, who's not going to start the final, but I've already explained, is, is an enormous presence, an enormous, ferocious, competitive presence, but also tremendously sporting intelligent. When it's him and John Captavilla, who's started every game, who's going to start in the final, and who has been picked out by a lot of judges, whether they be Dutch or not, as being somebody that Arjun Robin can target. Um, Joanne Captivilla at this stage is already 33. Um, you know, lightning fast mobility isn't necessarily his number one attribute. Um, he's, he's a big unit. He's a big lad converted from a, a winger to a full back. And there's this idea that Robin, who's in excelsior form um, once he's got into the tournament, c- can can take Captavilla to the cleaner. So what we're watching is these three strikers and, and Reina and Captavilla repeat. So the, the two who are defending will repeat for a couple of exercises and they may face different strikers. With the three bearing down on them, I watch a display of, of positional intelligence with Reina keeping Captavilla informed all the time about where he wants him to do. The two of them working angles together such that they're trying hard to reduce the advantage the strikers have got to make them either make passes that they don't want, make the passes at the wrong time, to, to cut angles such that there's a better chance of once the committing pass to, is made to the striker who's likely to score, it's harder for them to find the room or it's easier for the single defender, Joanne Capdevila, to, to make a, a block or a tackle or to force something that they don't want to happen. It's a startling exercise. And from it, I gather that Capdevila, even if, Arjun Robin is going to give him a chase. And even if Arjun Robin will win, if there's a, a, a toe-to-toe sprint starting even, Robin's going to win every one of them. It's going to be about how Captavilla uses the football brain I've seen that, that cold night, that cold Friday night in Potchefstroom. If he can be that competitive, that smart, if he can read football that well in the World Cup final, then one of the gaps that Holland think they can take advantage of may be plugged a little bit. It, Neil, it was, I promise you it was, before you could even get excited and concentrate on this is going to be the biggest weekend in my professional life, I'm going to be TV producing at a World Cup final. That was astonishing to watch. And it, it, it just, another part of the, we're, do, we're doing this not to pat each other on the back, not, not to... Not to say I was there. It's worth sharing this with people because it was part of my football education and I came away from it startled. It was great to watch. What's the mood like around that camp? Do you detect any change in the frequency 
between the semi-final and the final? Is the tension, are the nerves, or is the opposite true and, and Dabowski found a way to deflate the pressure among the group? They, they think they're going to win. Pretty much everybody, um, with the sad exception of Albiol, is fit. Um, they've enjoyed the semi-final. Not, not just savoured winning, or n- neither are they overcome by the fact that they're in a World Cup final. They have what will prove to be a mistaken impression that Holland are going to come and play similarly to Germany, not identical, but they think they're going to have a game where they're facing um, 11 starting guys who, who will want to outplay them. They, um, they're they in a zone of, of, of not tranquility, but of personal peace because they've dealt with the worst that Switzerland and Paraguay have to throw at them. They've kind of been more streetwise than uh, Portugal. They've had refereeing breaks. They've had moments when they've played really, really well. They know that there isn't a person in the team that's not on something like their their best form. When I say a per- not a person in the team, I think they already intuit what the eleven is going to be. And I'll, let's toss that away. The eleven is not going to include Torres, and it is going to include Pedro. So, and and I think they, I think the players, they don't know it, but they intuit it. So. The mood is good. It's helped by France Beckenbauer coming out after the semi-final and saying Germany did well to keep the score down. Spain were miles better and they'll win. Little things like that happen. And there's laughter. In the final press conference, there's this brilliant scene where one of the frothy um, Mexican sort of light opera TV stations has sent a reporter and, and she's been pretty busy the whole time. And sometimes the question can seem a bit nonsensical. Sometimes it'll be funny. Sometimes it'll catch a mood. And in this instance, um, she, she's got Marchena. And Marchena is, is, is not going to play. He's a dry, um, seen-it-all squad leader. And, and amidst a very long press conference, she gets this question in. And we haven't mentioned Pulpopol, the octopus in Germany that's been predicting just about every round, um, every match, correctly. And world, word filters out of Germany that Pulpopol, Paul the Octopus has tipped Spain to win the final. So the, the, the Mexican journalist gets her hand up and gets picked. And she's right at the back. So she's, even with a mic, she's got to raise her voice. And Carlos, Carlos, did you know that Pulpo Paul, who's got everything right so far, has tipped you guys? If Pulpo Paul thinks you're going to beat Holland and win the World Cup, what do you reckon? And you asked me about the mood, the weather um, in the camp. And there's this sort of Silence and and Carla Marchena has got this very sort of expressive face where there's a sort of a smile playing across his eyes quite a lot of the time. And although he's not the most loquacious of men, he's pretty almost he's pretty much always good humoured. And he pauses to sort of digest the question, and there's no laughing around him, sniggering because it's been asked by a woman. He just kind of looks a bit quizzical. Turns his face to her and he goes, well, it's an octopus. (laughs) And it's a brilliant answer for her. That makes her TV package that that tea time. It's, It's the perfect sort of, not tension breaker, but the room laughs. And, and finally, rather than just going, well, I hope we win it or what a load of rubbish. Just a nice piece of dry humor kind of helps finish off the time at Poch 
Um, they play a little bit of training uh, crossbar challenge and Victor Valdez wins it by a distance, hitting the crossbar from the halfway line four times. And he doesn't even, he's not even going to start or play in the World Cup final. So talent is at a premium and they pull off out of Poch at 11.15 on Saturday morning, turning what was a citadel into just an ordinary sports university um, about 180 kilometres southwest from Joburg. Normality uh, resumes and the magic has gone on the bus to Johannesburg. Never to return, for they and you will depart directly from Joburg, right? Yeah, it's they won't come back until many, many years later when a little ceremonial visit when Spain play a friendly against South Africa many years later. I'd, I'd say probably eight years later. But on that day, um, it's goodbye forever. They're going to leave from Joburg. We know we're going to win, lose or draw. We're going to leave from Joburg. And we're in our little people carrier, myself, Glenn the Shadow, um, Miami, Adam Goldfinch. And we're, we're not patting each other on the back, but we know we've done a good job. And we're thinking, okay, now it's get there, one more production day, and then the final. And the phone goes, and it's the head of FIFA TV, and he's he's pretty much to the point, you guys have done a fantastic job, we've enjoyed your footage, thank you very much indeed. David, David Otai is his name, and we're like, ah, thanks very much, Governor, thanks, thanks very much, yeah. We'll, we'll get a sixpence in our stocking at Christmas, will we? And he says, just one more thing, and, and I've seen Colombo, so I should have known that just one more thing was... Uh, was fatal and um, he says uh, we need you to get in the dressing room if they win and we need you to be on the bus to the airport with the trophy and the players celebrating thank you very much goodbye okay now so we're left with that in our heads buzzing not knowing uh, not having had to do that before not knowing exactly how we'll achieve it but we're Johannesburg bound to Stanton uh, the, the, the posh part of I like to call it the, the built side of um, Johannesburg <laughs> and we're going to stay in the Da Vinci Hotel and at the, at the Da Vinci Hotel, the World Cup is going to turn in my favour. To be in the team hotel, and, and the Da Vinci was an unusual place whereby they couldn't, for some reason, it, it descends into, it's, it's based on several floors, but the, the bottom floor is kind of a mall. And there were fans and general public trying to get in. And they got inside because it wasn't a traditionally structured place. And there were, there were bits that were roped off and there were fans and, and general public could go in some bars, but not others. And it was just really odd. Fortunately, we had a uh, an accreditation that allowed us in one particular bar. I had a column to write for uh, the Mail on Sunday. And I thought, right, um, it's, it's Saturday lunchtime. I've got exactly my subject in mind. I'm going to sit and write it. I'm going to have a little canya. And I'm sitting and I'm writing with my sort of half glass of beer next to me. And two Spaniards approached me. One is Santi Segarola, an older Basque journalist who's a very, very good writer. Um, and Lou Martin, my great friend, um, a bear of a man, eccentric, talented, funny, warm, um, noisy, uh, loves his music like I do. And they want to sit down with me and have a beer because uh, there's nothing happening until tea time when the press conferences are at Soccer City. And as I'm writing, they're chatting I finished my article. We've we've literally had a glass and a half of beer each, not a pint, just a glass and a half. And we're chatting about old time football. We're chatting about back in the day in Scotland, Bremner Law, Dalgleish, Alan Gilzean, Jinky Johnson. All these names come up, and the president of the Spanish Federation at the time, uh, Achavir, is walking by. 
he knows me a little bit, but he knows me least of the three by a long way. I think it's a little bit, um, sort of, how would I call it, tentative about Lou, um, because Lou is definitely an anarchist. But you know Santi Segarola very well. He, he, he loves a beer, the president, loves a beer. Gets one, buys us one, sits down, and we start talking about him playing in the Spain team that was the first La Roja side to ever beat Scotland in Scotland, which was in 1975. And he was an athletic club midfielder. He played in that uh, national team at Hamden and has an equal adoration for the past of English and Scottish football as I did or Lou or Santi Segarola. So we sit there and we chat and chew the fat about players like Charlie Cook for 45 minutes. And at which time the president is like, right, 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 lunch is calling. And I seize my opportunity. As a president, it's been great chatting to, uh, to you. You know, I've, I've got some of these numbers. I'll put you in touch with these footballers. I'll, but I need something from you, Prezi. I need to be in the dressing room tomorrow if you win. I'm FIFA TV, our boss. And he's like, mm, OK, I've enjoyed this chat. Let me see. Yeah, maybe we can do this. Let me see. Meet me at breakfast tomorrow. And, and that's where the deal is struck. And although at breakfast the very next day, um, on the morning of the final, I have to go into the team room um, few of the players remain the president is there his director of football Darboski's director of football too is there uh, Fernando Hierro Fernando Hierro is not really up for it Darboski and the players have said yes we don't mind we trust him we know it's a FIFA competition we've seen him for many years he, he can come into the dressing room if we win Hierro's a little bit more conservative and the president needs to overrule him and he does so and said you can come in you can't come um, on the bus to the plane we want that if we win we want that to be private um, but you can film in the hours leading up to the World Cup final as we set up the dressing room, and you can come in if we win. You can, if you give us five minutes just to make sure everybody's in there, then you can come in and record. And I go away fortified in the knowledge that um, you know we're we're off to Soccer City for the 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 pre-match press conference and to see the facilities on Saturday afternoon. After which I'm going to my first World Cup final as a TV producer rather than a journalist. And if we if Spain win. I'm in the dressing room. Me and you, we talked in a previous episode about the kind of level of investment you had in, in Spain's progress because of the different nature of your role at this tournament. You know, you're not a perfectly neutral observer writing reports for newspapers. You are attached, you are attached to Spain and their progress and ultimately their success will change the way that you do your job and in this case it's quite clear that if Spain win the World Cup you're in the dressing room of the World Cup winners which is something that not very many people get to do. I wondered if this kind of level of investment is now somewhere completely new for you. It, it, it is the only comparable thing is I remember in 1989 um, doing commentary for hospital radio at Hamden when Aberdeen played Rangers and thinking to myself I, I can't um, care about this during the match I can't, I, you know, I've sported Aberdeen all my life but even without a boss even doing hospital radio for free and only thinking, you know, knowing that it's only patients in a handful of hospitals around the west of Scotland that are going to listen to this I remember thinking I, I have a debt to the profession that I want to be part of to do this with, with total neutrality and you learn that lesson really quickly if you're any good but in terms of who I want to win whose preparation I want to go well who I want to not suffer from nerves, who I want to not trip up, not have a red card. Um, it, it's it's definitely Spain. 
but there's a there's a there's a trap waiting for me, Neil, because you know, in the lead up to leaving Potchefstroom, the the rammy, the 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 bun fest about trying to get time with the selected players who are doing the talking there is so much that we're not promised a player by Spain. You know, we're approaching the final and we don't have a one-on-one. And two things happen. Gerard Piquet breaks off from his commitments and says he'll give me uh, us five minutes of filming where he talks about Johan Cruyff, where he talks about elegance in football, where he talks about things that matter to this final. And it's a gift to us. And in Soccer City, again, we have nobody because the, the tumult of people who are elbowing their way to the front to try and get what they think they need more than we do. And fair enough. That's life. That's competitive life means that I have to say to David Villa when I catch him on his own backstage um, just after training, when he's trying to get ready to get on the bus and go home, give me give me four minutes, David. Give me five minutes in a studio here, now, this second. He said, well, you know, Paloma hasn't told me that, that I've got to do anything, but for you, I'll do it. Let's be quick, but I will do it. And he does it. So I have David Villa, who's Spain's top scorer, speaking on the night of the final, unscheduled. Pique does me a favour the day before, unscheduled. And yet, when we get to, I mean, we'll, we'll come to the build-up to the final, but when we get to the final in the afternoon of the of the day of July the 11th, the, the, the woman who's dealing in accreditations, and anybody who's been a journalist and gone to World Cup will, will tell you that having your, your, your tournament accreditation is not enough. There are match access accreditations given out on what they judge to be a basis of need or blah, blah, blah. And irrespective of FIFA television saying to us we had to be in the final dress, final winning dressing room, this this woman um, on duty at the stadium says, "Yeah, we've given you, we've got you a pass for. Um, you'll be sitting in the the press box. You will be. Your cameraman hasn't got an accreditation to the match at all. And as far as your 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 gopher, your your driver, your assistant cameraman, he he's yeah, he can watch it in the canteen. And immediately I go into artful dodger mode, mode and." I go above her. I make sure that if you know if I'm going to be in the dressing room, if Spain win, I have to be accessing the dressing room, not from the press box where I won't get through because of security. I have to be on the pitch. The cameraman has to be on the pitch. You have to be on your toes, and it's definitely survival of the fittest. And it, it, you're talking about my uh, personal emotional involvement in the final in the day. That augmented it because I wasn't being pushed around or or kept out of this game by anybody. Let's go back to Pulper Paul, Paul the Octopus, because I, 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 don't think, I don't think we're being completely, I don't think Marchena was being completely fair on him. If you look at his... <laughs> I'm just saying, if you look at the Octopus's track record, he's looked at Holland, the Octopus, and he's made, and he's made a judgment call that Spain are going to best them in this final. And I think it's, I think it's worth picking apart the things that maybe the octopus has seen. Hold on, hold on, hold on. They put, they put two flags in the octopus's tank. Will you say that? And they, they put food next to one of them. <laughs> I like that octopus's performance and his stats. My, my point is that we don't know how much tape he watched before the flags went in. <laughs> This is my favourite part of the entire series. And here's what he may have considered. Here's what he may have considered. So, listen, if you look at Holland, if you look at Holland at this tournament, okay, they have a fairly soft group, Denmark, Japan, Cameroon, they win all three. Iron Robin hasn't started a game until the knockouts. So he comes in for the round of 16 against Slovakia, which they win 2-1. The quarterfinal against one of the tournament favourites, Brazil, they come 
from behind to win 2-1 again. And for big chunks of that game, Brazil was superior. The semi-final, we know there's no Luis Suarez for Uruguay. And Holland win 3-2 in a very open game that might have contributed to the prediction of the Spain team that they were going to get a fair fight in the final. And they look like a Jekyll and Hyde team, Graham, because if you look at the front four, for a big chunk of the tournament, it's Van Persie, and behind him you have Dirk Coit, you have Wesley Schneider, and you have Raphael van der Vaart. When Robin comes in, van der Vaart tends to go onto the bench. So whichever way you look at it, that's a ton of talent, and there's no little skill. Behind those four are the bouncers, though. Nigel de Jong and Mark Van Bommel. But behind them, again, I mean, it's hard to call them journeymen, but if you compare the Spanish defence to the, to the Dutch defence, Holland have Van der Riel, Johnny Heitinger, Matthiasen, and a 35-year-old Jew, Van Bronckhurst, who's playing his last match as a professional footballer. So, Graham, we know how this final is going to go, but can you also see how, for a beautiful sort of 72 hours, some people thought it, it might have been a different kind of match looking at the top end of that Dutch team? I don't know, because as I said to you, I, I managed to get glimpses of Holland, particularly when it came to the semi-final. But we worked so hard that if I tried to purport to you that I was sure about Holland coming into the final then it'd be wrong. I knew a lot of their... I knew some of their players personally, and I knew a lot of their players uh, where their A-level game could take them because I've been watching most of them for the majority of most of their careers. And I'm not embarrassed to say that I fell into the general... It might have been uh, wish fulfilment. I thought this would be a game where they would play with a similar concept. Never mind the line-up or the strategy, but with a similar concept to Spain, that the ball was important, that circulation of the ball will open up your opponent, that intelligence was far more important than phys physicality. And this was a theme that was dissected time and time and time again in the build-up to the final, particularly by, for example, I, I'd spoken to PK about uh, Cruyff. Cruyff then spoke out about, you know, I'm going to gather together a host of friends get in the wine and the beer, watch the game with them. And because a lot of people attribute um, play, Spain's playing style to the concepts I introduced to Football Club Barcelona, I'm going to sit down and whichever team wins, I, I can't lose. I, I, I'll be, I'll consider myself a winner whether Holland or Spain win. That, that was a, an interesting individual point. That general feeling hung over what many, I think in Europe, were calling the Johan Cruyff final because he was the even including Michels, he was the number one architect of the idea behind the Dutch school. And his influence on, I mean, most particularly on how Piquet, Busquets and Iniesta and Xavi play. But, but patently, there's uh, some of his ideology is behind how Xavi Alonso makes decisions. Um, what kind of footballers make up the defence? Um, for example, Captavila is in on, in on ability and, and reading, not power or athleticism. And I, I, you've asked me about Holland, and and also I, I'd seen a lot of Van Bommel, I'd met Van Bommel, my respect for him was very high. He, he in general had been not only a winning player, but somebody equivalent to Xavi Alonso in terms of his vista on what the game's about and how to play it. And, and I thought that they were 
dangerous because they might play Spain at their own game and, and they had pace um, up top, which, which I genuinely thought could be a little bit difficult for Spain to, to cope with. So I had higher aspirations for their performance and their attitude than proved to be the case. So before we get into the, the game and how it played out, where exactly are you watching this one? Because you've described in detail your, your match position for a few of these games. I want to know where you're at. Well, we, 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 we travelled down from Santon, the Da Vinci Hotel, with the team kit man, Tony Guerra, who'd, been, uh, who'd worked in an Aberdeen slaughterhouse, this, this Madrileño. We get there, we're installed in the dressing room, we watch it being set up in great detail. I find it hugely interesting to, to look at the, the way that all the kit is laid out. Dabowski's office is full of hundreds of boots. There's champagne and beer set up in a little corner of the dressing room because the players don't want to see it. They don't want to think about over-celebrating. There's a preparation of a one-star Spain jersey so that by the end of the final, if they've won, they can have that coveted one FIFA star in it. But the players don't want it to be in blue because they're the way team. They want it in red. Adidas have worked all night to prepare that. Um, but now the players don't want to see or smell or touch the red shirt that's stored away with one star on it. And, and at this stage, I'm still fighting for my position. At this stage, I still don't know where I'm going to be. And a position on the touchline is being carved out for me on the turf, not behind the advertising banners which surround the stadium. And we have to be elliptical. We almost have to work side on because they explained to us that... Um, the advertisers have paid millions to be on the boards around the, you know, these LED moving uh, advertising boards around the stadium. So we are at the edge of the last part of the LED as it leaves a tiny little space between there and Spain's dugout. So Spain, the, the far right edge of Spain's plastic dugout is about 15, 20 feet to my left hand side. And in due course, when there are substitutes warming up, which or Navas, Torres and Cesc, if I'd reached forward, just reached forward a little bit and kneeled forward and reached out, I'd have been able to touch the, the back of their shoulder. So it's an extraordinary position and we get there via this, this gigantic tunnel that it goes, it slopes downwards and it's, I'd say it's 60 metres long. So long, unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. And it's the tunnel down which Shakira will come, down which Nelson Mandela and his, his little cart will come. It's the, it's the tunnel down which Cannavaro will walk with the World Cup to hand it back in a ceremony when Iker's in the dressing room shouting to everybody, nobody touches that, nobody touches When we go out, nobody, you look at it, you don't touch. So we go down that tunnel. And I, I, I'm supposed to be installed long before the warm-up is finished. So I'm creeping down with Adam, the, the side of the tunnel, just, just keeping out of the way when there's a big bear hug around my neck and I'm like, well, hump, finally, finally they've caught with me. A rest couldn't have been far away. And it's Fernando Llorente giving it, all right there, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm like, mate, how are you doing? You might not be starting, but you know, you might come on. This is your World Cup final. This could be the night of your life. Never mind your big jaunty Baloo the bear. How are you doing, Graham? Absolutely nuts. Get down to the bottom of the tunnel, walk behind the dugout, situate ourselves bang on to the millimetre of where we're supposed to be and I don't budge for the next 120 minutes of the game plus 15 minutes of um, halftime plus the we're there a good 30 minutes before kickoff. So we're there for 170, 180 minutes in general and um, to this day I find it hard to believe that we were there, how close to the action we were. 
It's incredible. Incredible memories for you, they must be. So you see Spain in their dark blue and Holland in their orange um, start of the game and Howard Webb of England is the referee and it's apparent from very early on that he's going to be a busy dude. We're going to end up with a record for a World Cup final in terms of a card count. Holland are going to comfortably finish the tournament as the team with the most yellows, almost exactly twice as much as the nearest competitor. And within half an hour, some of the game's most volatile players are on yellows. So for Spain, Ramos and Priol have both picked up a yellow early on. For Holland, Van Bommel and De Jong um, and Van Persie, who himself is, is no stranger to the red mist, all these guys are on a yellow within half an hour. But, I mean, it could have been a lot worse for Holland. Ah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and in the dressing room before they come out to play, Del Bosque is saying exactly these words. Guys, you are not soldiers going into battle. This is football, not a war. We compete, we fight to have the ball, but we are here to keep on playing that we know how, to be loyal to our style. Humility, solidarity, be brave, start well, go after the game, but don't get tricked into doing anything daft. The only way to fail, that's what a phrase, the only way to fail is to abandon what we believe in. And and Robin is saying, okay, not on the day, but the, the day before, I'd far rather win an ugly game than lose a beautiful one and touching on the themes that you have mentioned um pk's chat about elegance how you comport yourself elegant players are better footballers these are echoing in my mind during the what becomes a kicking fest as, as holland try to muscle spain scare them out of the final and cruyff will go on to say retrospectively because i don't want you've set it up by saying and there'll be people who listen to this that may have favoured Holland, people who think that Iniesta was lucky not to be sent off eventually during this match, fine. And therefore, even though I wanted Spain to win, I want the analysis to, 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 to show itself to be fair. So Cruyff, after the final, said, a couple of days before this World Cup final, I was asked, can we, Holland, stop Spain by playing in the way which allowed Jose Mourinho's Inter to eliminate Barca from the Champions League semi-final? I said no, because I thought that my country's players would never dare to do that and that they wouldn't totally renounce their style. I said that because even though Holland doesn't have such truly great players as before, they do have a defined playing style. I was wrong. Ronald De Boer had said, I don't like watching this Holland side. Morton Olsen had said, if they hadn't beaten Brazil and they'd been sent home, they'd have been savaged by the press because they'd been playing rubbish. Something got under their skin because during that period you were talking about, irrespective of the, the infamous de Jong studs in Chabi Alonso's chest, it's my point of view, honestly, that either Van Bommel or Schneider... Um, or Van Persie could have been sent off. And Van Persie stamps on Captavilla's ankle, such that at halftime, Captavilla's ankle is up swollen like a tennis ball. He comes off the pitch thinking that he can't go on. He gets ice, he gets a massage, he gets an injection, he plays on. But whatever pace battle he and Robin were supposed to have, it's now massive odds in favour of uh, the Dutchman and against uh, the Spaniard. And... Iniesta has a little tickle back later on and, and, and admits that he loses it and gets after Van Bommel. But the approach Holland took, well, 
while no way on earth do you call Spain angelic or soft touches. The way in which Holland thought we can win this by bullying them, by knocking them out of their style and then imposing our classy passing, our brilliant counter-attacks, the fact that we've got a front three or four that are exceptional, that was a big surprise to me and a big disappointment. In the end, it almost worked, but I mean, I think we have to relitigate a few um, big moments in the in the game. Um, because, you know, the facts are that they get very, very close to a penalty shootout. There's one key moment where it could have gone even more in their favour. You know, they could have won this match in 90 minutes. Um, and it might not have happened if, if Howard Webb had taken a couple of different decisions. He's on the record when it comes to De Jong's raised boot in the chest of Xabi Alonso. He's on record. He says, um, having seen it again from my armchair, I would have red carded him. There was there was other instances that you've mentioned. Um, I mean, in total, it is I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight yellow cards to Holland, and then a ninth to Johnny Heitinger, which is his second, and 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 begets a red. One, two, three, four, five to Spain. So you know, a phenomenally um, gnarly football match. There are. Also, a couple that you mentioned there. One is is Iniesta's moment of retaliation um, against Van Bommel as he's getting up after the 372nd uh, foul committed against him. He gets up and checks Van Bommel with his knee. And, and Iniesta, again, on the record, has said that he that would have been a justifiable red card. Yeah, there's no doubt. We've tried to address the offside decisions that go Spain's way during the tournament. And I think there are very, very few tournaments where you win and it's totally limpio, totally clean. Nothing goes your way. Tournaments, I don't think, are generally won that way. So I think Spain fit into a context, an historical context, but they do get breaks and they get, you know, Iniesta's words are, I was kicked for 80 minutes. He does lose his temper. And there's, there's background that you know in that Van Bommel was one of the footballers when Rijkaard was in charge of Barcelona, that Iniesta thought he was on better form and had more to add to the team than Van Bommel. And he kept quiet about it, said nothing. Subsequently said, look, I did feel a little bit hard done by. And, you know, it said, Milson, not Van Bommel, it's taken off the 2006 uh, Champions League final in Paris. And it's Iniesta who changes the game. Chabi's on the bench, not fit enough to, to come on even, and says, had it not been for you coming on, Andresito, we'd have lost that. Andresito... <laughs> holds nurses, not the grudge, but the pain of not starting. Now mind the fact that he changes the game. Now mind the fact that he's probably man of the match. Now mind the fact that he, he wears his medal with pride from 2006 onwards. By 2009, the pain of not starting means that he starts injuries against Manchester United, starts the spiral of depression, which leads to him almost not making the World Cup. And there it is, as if there was some celestial sense of humour, it's Van Bommel. It's Van Bommel again, opposite him. Not only does he have to get past him, wriggle free of him, he has to take kick after kick of the guy whose who's presence in team for Barcelona 
start this whole chain events that nearly robs the man that's going to score the winning goal of being at the tournament in South Africa. I find uh, cycles of stories like that to be astonishing. Football's very incestuous at the elite level. You bump into people, you play them, you play with them again and again. Grudges get stored, grudges get shelved, but patterns emerge. And and they're not they're they're better than crop circles as far as I'm concerned. And and when you talk about Webb, I thought that the young aside, Webb does his absolute utmost to try and control it, to try and not have a World Cup with a red card. And I think he was prejudiced against by the behaviour of the players. If you look at those two players, they they're kind of the personification of two different camps that were present at, at camp now. You know, at, at that turning point in the club's history, and and here they are now again on opposite sides of a a sort of similar um, set of scales. On one hand, you have Spain, who, in the words of their own coach Del Bosque, is is trying to win the game um, without abandoning what they believe in, and on the other side, Holland have abandoned the, the sort of legacy of, of Cruyff and the other great teams in their recent past and have decided to try and neutralise Spain. And there are also two other big moments to, to consider, I think, both involve Arjen Robin, who has been you know the player of the tournament for Holland since he recovered from the injury that put his participation at the World Cup in doubt. Played through for Robin. This is the chance. Arjen Robin is in. Great miss, or wonderful save. The first, I think I'm going to hand that over to you because I think you have very, very strong feelings about what happens after Wes Schneider. By the way, if Robin isn't Holland's man of the tournament, it's Wes Schneider. Wes Schneider has a colossal World Cup in 2010. But as he is falling to the ground and somehow conjures up a pass between um, the two Barcelona centre-halves, I don't know if your heart's in your mouth or if your uh, your heart rate has has risen at all, but it's pulsing right now, right this second as we record, at a, at a rate that could do me damage. And and honestly, um, I'm a little bit overcome as I speak about it because I didn't just want them to win. People that had educated me, people that had given me journalistic experiences that I couldn't have expected throughout my life, um, they'd given me peaks. I was I was talking to Adam Goldfinch. Um, my brilliant, brilliant cameraman during this week um, about it. And he's world-class and he's done, he's continued to do world-class things with his camera. And he's talked to me about being amazed about what we were allowed and what we were shown and what we achieved. And therefore selfishness, ego comes into this on my part. I'm on the touchline, not only wanting these people to win, I want to be associated with the World Cup win. And that might sound greedy, but it's the truth. And of those who are out there playing, I have my favourites. Xavi would be one. Ika would be one. And what you're talking about is just around the 70th minute. The game, because of its nature, is beginning to break open a little bit. Um, v has missed or failed to convert an astonishing chance where that whip-smart Greyhound fast Heitinger has got in the way of things but Schneider who you were eulogising in midfield gets away a pass that bisects Pique and Puyo and Robbins come off uh, Captivilla looking for purchase elsewhere it's a smart move 
it's a really good idea because early summer has been, I suppose, difficult for him at Bayern Munich. They lose the treble to Inter Milan, if I've got my, my memories right. And Mourinho knew exactly how to patrol Robin, which is to never let him come in off the wing onto his preferred shooting foot. And, and Spain had got that trick relatively well during the final. Captavilla played the match of his life. And what you do then is you come in search of different corridors of, of danger. Robin does that. Snyder sees him. Snyder's falling over. He shouldn't get the pass away. Because both Pique and, and Puyo are slightly on their the, the flats of their feet, not on their toes, because they see Snyder going down and they think just a millisecond of, OK, the, the, the attack's ending there, we're going to win it back. Snyder gets away a pass and Robin's free. I mean, completely free. And he's running down the middle of the pitch towards Casillas. And Casillas is his ex-teammate at Real Madrid. They've done this in training. They've done similar exercises to the one I saw at Pochestrum, where it's 1v1, striker on a keeper, 3v1. And I'm pretty sure that Robin scores. He's got time. He's world-class. He's got nobody around him. And Iker's kind of hopping around as if he's not sure whether he wants to come and try and smother or whether he wants to go Gary Cooper and, and pure high noon. And in the end, he's got this do not forsake me or my darling playing in his head in the middle of the street where he goes, I'm not going to dive on top of my opponent and try and take his gun away from him. It's one-on-one. As Argent Robin pulls his foot back to release the shot, Iker reckons that he's going to try and bend it round Iker's left hand in between his left hand and left hand post. Robin's got another idea. He may have showed the eyes to go that way, but he's using his foot to guide it to Iker's right. And at the moment, Iker's gone the wrong way. And this is all happening. To me, it doesn't often happen in, in, in football matches, but this is going in super slow motion live for me. And my I genuinely thought my heart was going to stop. I, I can't ever remember any other moment in my entire 56 years on this planet when everything just went dead slow and I'm, I'm, it's hard to contain myself now. Iker's boot comes up. This agile cat-like still thinks he's a teenager who rejects conventional goalkeeper training and just says I'm Iker, leave it to me. In the moment, I'll resolve things. He does things that he shouldn't and they come off. And people in life that plough their own furrow and just do jazz solos and pull it off, I think are probably the greats. And even though Iker's dived the wrong way and Robin's put this ball, he's elevated it so it's not flat on the ground. It's going towards the net. It's going to be 1-0 Holland. Iker lifts a boot and with the, the outside edge of his big toe, deflects the ball past what is his right-hand post as he's diving the other way. It, it remains to this day, and, and I don't imagine I'll ever change my mind, the single best save I've ever seen. And um, I'm just about going to need a timeout now. <laughs> this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We worked together on your book on Spain's three tournament wins. And Ico was one of the people that you got to kind of um, to go back over the memories from those days. And I think he described it to you as an eternal moment, which is pretty succinct. That's pretty on the nose. He said it seemed to last forever. But, you know, he used the super slow-mo to to judge what to do. He produced a sporting miracle. And as much as what will come, that moment won the World Cup, there's another moment, and you've hinted at it, and this one leaves me befuddled and a little bit sad because Robin gets through again. and, And Robin's anger at himself for missing Robin's belief that the middle of the pitch is where he can do damage. I, I, I admire him for the fact that he says, OK, that one didn't go in, but I've seen their Achilles heel. I'm going to stamp on their heel now until they fall over and, and I rule Troy. Did that successfully and Van Persie with the opportunity to play Robin in. Oh, and Robin, was he pulled back? And for the second time, Arjen Robin is frustrated by his own inability to beat Ica Casillas. Well, the arm came across from Puyol without doubt, and Casillas was again so quickly off the line. He goes past Puyol, and Puyol fouls him. But if he says percentage to himself, he goes down, and it's a red card. And at the point where he's, he's wrestling with Casillas, and Casillas gets to the ball and smothers the chance, makes a different choice this time, not one-on-one, one, waiting for the release. He thinks he can get there. Robin has been knocked off his path by Puyol. It's it's absolutely patently, you know, we're talking about red cards and penalties. Double jeopardy didn't exist then. Why did Robin make that choice? I, I don't understand. I, I want to think that if I was ever in that position, it's what I would do. Because you want to think that your ultimate hero thing is to, to shrug off the challenge to go around the keeper and score anyway. But the, 
everybody in Holland is screaming at him, go down, get the get the foul, get the penalty, get the red card. Percentage, percentage, percentage. Again, if that incident goes differently, Holland win the World Cup, no question. And the clock is 83 or something like that, 83, 84 when that, when that happens. So that really is all the marbles. Um, I, you know, I wonder if his failure in the first instance affects his decision even subconsciously in the second. And I also wonder if people remember about that when they sometimes reach for the sort of lazy line on Robin uh, as a sort of simulator, as a diver, because when, <laughs> when everything was to play for, he didn't. You know, he stayed on his feet and tried to do it himself. That's what happened, but I, I can't tell, and now maybe isn't the moment, whether there's admiration or description in your tone because it, I, I meant what I said. It's what you want to do, but it was... Th- it, it was unequivocally the wrong thing to do. Which takes us into extra time and both coaches have got some decisions to make. Did Del Bosque, I mean, Del Bosque has surprised us, I think, with some substitutions, both the personnel that he's used and the timing of them in this tournament. Um, so during the 90, on the hour, he replaces Pedro with um, Jesus Navas, which I think is, is fairly standard. Right before the final whistle, Cesc Fabregas replaces Xabi Alonso. Again, with uh, extra time looming, does that make sense to you? Something makes sense to me in that Fabregas always had De Bosque's affection. Fabregas has spent the previous 15 minutes while warming up, um, haranguing the fourth official, the linesman, the referee, his, his bullish testosterone energy to get on and help his friends is such that he's been an explosive really explosive force trotting up and down a now worn down patch of turf you know three feet in front of me and Adam Goldfinch and I think that looking at it you're not going to change the the structure of the team Xavi and Iniesta are playing well and they are the ones that are more likely to produce a goal, as as Xavi's subsequent free kick proves. Um, Alonso may feel disjointed that it's him that comes off, but Fabregas is has always been a match opener. He knows PK since they were kids together. Um, there's more goals in his boots um, than there is in Alonso's. It, it makes sense, and I think that if you're looking at substitutions. It's truly interesting to me that each of them play a big role in what will be the winning goal. So, um, yeah, the basket calls it right, but the thing that this the, the unraveling of this final will come from football intelligence, Neil. And, and, and this is the fact that Heitinger already booked. Xavi um, and Iniesta understand that if they test him, if they knock at his door sufficiently there's a chance that he'll be sent off and there's a nice little ball there's a nice little moment where Iniesta and Xavi know that they've got a chance to offer him a question to say can you react to this are you are you smart enough or will you do what's been happening across the pitch will you reach out, will you talk, will you foul through for Iniesta, who oh, was held back. back. Heitinger, well, he's got to go. Absolutely. Little doubt, second yellow card. John Heitinger is sent off. The 
fifth player to be sent off in a World Cup final. When Xavi and Iniesta open up Holland, Eitinger makes the mistake of, of reaching for what, what will become a second bookable decision. And he's sent off. And at that stage, Xavi and Iniesta are like, OK, we now know there's a gap. We know where the gap is. We know what will happen. We know how to begin to exploit it. And, and this, this idea of saying it's a chess game, that the goal comes from several minutes before when Heitinger is, is, is caught out, asked the question, and like Robin, he makes a bad decision, gives away what is an absolute patently clear second yellow, and Webb sends him off. He's got no option in this instance. By this point, there's been one final substitution for Spain. Key, David Villa, the top scorer, is off. Fernando Torres is off the bench with 14 minutes left on the clock. Heitinger is sent off with 11 minutes on the clock. But earlier in extra time... Delboski's opposite number, Bert van Marwijk, has replaced Nigel de Jong, who at this point is walking the thinnest of tightropes, having been yellow-carded early in the first half, with Raphael van der Vaart. And that, that doesn't seem like it's a substitution that will leave your shape entirely the same as it was beforehand. And that means, Graham, that when Heitinger walks and they need somebody to drop back into um, the sort of central defensive area... Former big interview guest, Raphael van der Vaart, finds himself in alien territory. You know, I, I don't want to lie. I've never spoken to Van Marwijk about this. But I think that what happens is that van der Vaart takes a personal decision that he's trying to plug a gap. Because what happens is that while they're trying to rearrange, um, I don't think Van Marwijk has got a decision through particularly to Van Bommel, about what he must do in order to supplant the missing Heitinger who's been playing at centre-half. They can choose to go to a three at the back. They can just say to Van Bommel, you step in there and reorientate what Van der Vaart is doing. I think Van der Vaart, and, and having watched the, the those minutes from the red card to the goal over and over again, I think Van der Vaart plucks something from the manual of total football pluck something from my team's in trouble, I know I must go there. And Spain's perpetual asking of questions from the minute that Heitinger's off is clever that although there are messages being screamed from the touchline, it's noisy. The vuvuzelas mean that it's doubly hard to make yourself understood or to hear. And van der Vaart is just like, I see a gap, I must plug it. And what happens is, and I pointed out that Navas and Torres and Fabrez all play a role in this, Spain begin to play. They get room. They try to, 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 to test Holland in taking them around the park and across the park, looking to pull at the sweater until the thread becomes a hole in the sweater. And, and that's exactly what happens. It's, you, you couldn't have said who was going to do it, ultimately, in the last three passes, but you know it's going to happen because these Spain players, for clubs and for country, have done it again and again. And Navas has dropped in effectively at right wing back. So that anybody who wants to come with him comes needs to come all the way. He's not the right wing back, but he's got to, they've got to come all the way back with him. He picks it up deep there. He's on his own. He does one of his little runs, not piling up the touchline. He makes sure that he's moving the ball pretty sharply. Fabregas is on by now. Fabregas puts it out to Torres. Torres sees a, a run 
that Iniesta's made. And, and I've missed out one or two parts of the move where Spain are, are clipping it about. There's a point where Holland nearly intercept and they don't. But Spain keep the tempo up. Bang, bang, move, move, move. And by the time the ball reaches Torres, he knows that Iniesta's spare at, at, at right wing. He can see that Van der Vaart is where he shouldn't be. The ball is clipped towards Iniesta. But it's a little bit short. Torres isn't fully warmed up. He's not on terrific form. He's going to re-damage his knee in this final and keep himself out for, for months to come. But because it's van der Vaart and he's in a role where he, aerially he's not great and he slips, he, he sees the ball coming towards him. It's towards the end of the World Cup final. He's in a position that he doesn't like being in for 10-man Holland. And everything occurs to him at once. And he has a little movement towards the ball which means that he, he kind of deflects the, the, the play, but doesn't clear it, falls over. And Fabregas, who remember Dabowski telling me at Ellis Park, um, I, I, Fabregas is pissed off with me, and I understand why. There are players in my squad who don't even know what the bench is, never mind have to sit on it. And when I interviewed Fabregas, he said, my job is to be ready. It's beautiful how all the patterns are weaving together towards this split second in time because he didn't just, those weren't just bullshit words. He told himself, be ready, be ready, be ready, use your anger, be ready. And he is. As Van der Vaart deflects it, Fabregas is on it like a cat on a mouse. His touch is really good and he doesn't waste time. He lays it off immediately to his right to Iniesta, who's onside. And at this stage, none of us know that he's thinking about gravity. None of us know that he can't hear anything. He explains this subsequently. He says, I know that gravity dictates that when I control it and it goes up, the ball's going to drop and it's going to drop for me to volley home. I know I'm going to score and I can't hear anything except for my boot hitting the ball. Spanish are outnumbered in the Netherlands half, but they still kept the ball with Iniesta. Now Torres. Iniesta's in the middle. Torres is trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it. Iniesta's grown up in this tiny little dusty village outside Albathetti called Fuentalbilla. And you know that his dad is, is scared of air travel, so they can't be at Soccer City. Many other families are there to watch their son, their husband, their boyfriend, whatever it might be, winning this. Pique will end up in tears, uh, just howling tears, finding his mother in the crowd after the cup's presented and the picture I've seen in his office there of is a guy howling as if he's lost the nearest and dearest, not won the World Cup. But um, the parents of the guy who's scoring Spain's first ever World Cup winning goal um, are back in Fuentalbilla. Jose Antonio, the dad, is too scared to go down the pub and watch it. He's watching it on his own with all the windows closed and all the lights out in his home. Andres's mum, Maria, um, who, remember these two have had to move over in their marital bed um, in their 60s during this year building up to the World Cup because Iniesta's been so depressed he can't sleep in his own bed and he has to tuck in next to his ageing parents. And, and Maria is down in the bar that her dad founded, uh, Iniesta's granddad, Bar 
Luchan. It's packed, it's noisy. She's so nervous that she goes out for a fag. And this means that Antonio is watching and he's got the television off. And there's a roar and he turns the TV on and he sees that Spain have gone 1-0 up. And eventually the caption shows that it's his boy that scored. She's outside the bar, doesn't know who scored, comes back in because people are shouting out, your boy scored, Andres has scored. She stays in to watch the remainder of the game. And Esther's dad turns the TV off, <laughs> goes upstairs to his roof and waits to see whether at full time of extra time there are fireworks or not to signify whether his boy has just won the World Cup. I find all this just off the scale beautiful. And I bet you it felt beautiful down there on the touchline at the time as well. But I mean, suddenly you've got to put your professional hat on. You've got a, a promise that you're going to be getting access to that winning dressing room. So how the hell, I mean, the chaos that follows, do you find your way, you know, from between those advertising hoardings without missing everything that you want to see and capture on Adam's camera? From there to the, your, uh, your... It's magical. And yes, has run to the corner flag. He's taken off his uh, shirt to, to show the Danny Harkey always with us T-shirt. It's an iconic moment in the world of sport. The whistle goes. Everybody runs, goes crazy. We get out. We keep out of their way next to the dugout um, until they've celebrated and, and formed in a line to go up to the... Changed into their, to their um, red tops, formed in a line to go up to the... Um, to the, the palco where they'll receive it while they're heading up to the um, I don't know what you call a palco in English the, the presidential box I suppose um, we sneak into the reception area between the uh, two dressing rooms we watch the, the drugs testers trying to take Wesley Schneider for a random drugs test he's furious he's absolutely absolutely raging doesn't doesn't want to listen to anyone, doesn't care what it is they're asking him. He, he's kicking the wall. Um, his anger is brutal to watch. And we wait for the players to troop in from the medal ceremony and they troop past us. We're in this reception area, the cameraman and I. Um, we, get a, we get a high five from one or two of the players as they come past us. They go in. We allow um, them to get settled for four minutes. We we use our passes to get in. The South African officials don't bother. The Spaniards are nice to, 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 to let us in there. There's a little bit of singing, campeones. There's a little bit of hugging, but very quickly the atmosphere dies down as they as they begin to phone home, as they begin to pose with each other for photos. Um, some of them drink, there, there's, there's complimentary beers from the sponsors. Um, the champagne doesn't come out very quickly, but the beer is being drunk. I'm hugging the wall to keep out of the way because I don't want to be Billy Big Bollocks and, and, and think that, you know, I've got a right to do anything other than film carefully, um, make sure that my Australian camera, when he can't speak Spanish, understands if anybody says, not now, give me two minutes, just just being careful, overly cautious, I think it turns out. Pedro's the, the first one to come up to me with a beer for me in his hand, gives me the beer, says thanks for, for everything. I don't know what was on his mind. Is he just the nicest World Cup winner that's ever walked the planet? Don't know. 
the kit men come up and have a laugh with me. They're all, they've got a massive job to do to, to get them to the airport, but they're tucking into the beers. Dabowski's almost absent. He wants peace and quiet to let the players survive. And the atmosphere picks up when Placido Domingo comes in and sings Viva España at the, at the mouth of the dressing room. España Campeón is what he finishes with instead of España Por Favor. Rafa Nadal is in a state he looks like I've felt for the previous 20 minutes. He's got the Spain scarf wrapped around his head. He's got two Spain flags um, painted on his cheeks, but he's been crying so much that the flags have run uh, and there's just yellow and red paste or paint all down his face. He looks like the sad clown. It's unbelievable. And he's inconsolable in his tears. Um, the the then queen, um, who just about caught Puyol in the scud after the semi-final, is, is there with her son, who's now, on this day, is, is the king. Koku comes across from the, from the Dutch dressing room to speak to players he knows from his time in Spain. Ramos goes to speak to players he shared the the Madrid dressing room with, which includes obviously Schneider and Robin. Um, those things are tasteful, they're, they're, they're kind. It's an extraordinary um, sight in that, you know, I've been in amateur sort of pub teams where a single away win at Castle Milk has brought more celebration. It's not noisy, it's not, I expect, total mayhem. It's not, it's calm. The tiredness, the sinking in of the realisation begins... But they've won it. We've done our filming. We move outside. And then the the, the, the last great episode of, of my World Cup is about to begin. Now, I've heard you tell this story before. And it involves one of the giant characters, it seems to me, of your recent years working in Spain. What does Gerard Piquet want and need after he's won the World Cup? I'm not filled in on, on what he wants because I haven't noticed that he's all through his career he's taken little snippets of goal mesh um, but he does, he takes it very seriously he's got a little collection of them at home whenever he wins a trophy he reckons since he's been an aspiring professional he's been uh, when they win a trophy he cuts a piece of the goal net we're in the in the reception area where we have no further duties until the super flash area so if I'm honest we're just hanging around enjoying the sight of Joanne Captavilla doing an interview with a waste paper basket on his head, the, the famous Iker Sara kiss, which embarrassed her but made headlines around the world. They're, they're, they're now married and they have kids and, and live in Portugal. And, and Piquet comes out just in his, his shorts, his boots, his vest, with a beer in his hand and nicks off down, to, down the tunnel. I don't really know what's happening. Within about three minutes, he's he's rampaging back up the tunnel, not that happy, saying to the FIFA Blazers who are, I mean, they're you know they're reasonably senior FIFA Blazers outside the dressing room door, where are the goal nets? What's happened? I need the goal nets, and the Blazers couldn't have been less interested in PK or what he's saying, either listening to him or understanding to him, and that sets off. Just I get furious. I'm like Jerry, how can I help? What are you looking for? Where's the nets? I can't find the nets. I have to cut a bit of the net. I like. 
Come on, I'll try and ask around. Come on, you and me will ask it. And just at that stage, one of the volunteers says, I know where the nets are, come with me. So the three of us set off on this journey, PK with a bottle of beer still in his hand, and the, bo- the boy takes us along a corridor, down some stairs, along a basement, towards a tunnel, which leads us to the very goals that Gerard Piquet's just come back from. And he goes, I hear that, oh, oh no, they're not there. So we have to go back the same route. Piquet's stud, metal studs or aluminium studs clacking on the concrete floor. And there's a door leading to what seems to be a storeroom. So I'm like, hey, come on, it might be in here. Bang and knock on the door, open it up. And there's this host of poor, terrified women counting the take. Like, so there's mounds and mounds of rand notes sitting there. And they think they're about to be robbed by PK, the, the helper, and me. And we close the door hurriedly and, and beetle off again. And we go through areas where uh, our passes will go through, but the little helpers won't. And he's like, don't forget my shirt. I tried to help you. And we get to um, a, a lift Every 10 seconds, people, we're deep inside the stadium now, people in, in FIFA blazers or the green helpers uniform are stopping him, asking for photos. We're saying to them, do you know where the goal nets are? They re- Somebody reckons it's in, the, it's in the stadium manager's office. How do we get there? Don't know. But can I have a photo? Everybody wants something from PK, but nobody's willing to help us get to the manager's office. We finally get there and we get in there and there's one despicable raincoat train spotter guy in there. And he's the guy who's been delegated to collect the nets, put them in a box, take them up to the stadium manager's office and, and, and put them there for the sponsors to collect. And we arrived, this World Cup winning player, patently still, you know, in 90% of his kit and me wearing a FIFA anorak and my accreditation saying, listen, mate, any chance of just snipping off a wee corner of that? No, uh, the nets aren't here. And he kind of does a point. It's a big office. He points behind us. The nets are over there. We turn and look around. He grabs the box, throws it in a cupboard and locks it so he can't get it now. And if he could have the keys too big for him to swallow, literally, if he could have swallowed the key going, ha, 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 then he would have done. And at this point, PK um, is, is furious. He's like, I'll punch him. He says to me in Spanish, the guy, I'll punch him. We'll take the key. You grab the nets, we'll make a run for it. And I'm like, this is the only part of the adventure where I'm like, okay, I understand the tactic. And, you know, in general terms, I'm up for it, but this might reflect worse on me than on you. So I said, Jerry, I'll try and negotiate with them. Just as we're negotiating with this git, the stadium manager arrives with two serious higher up FIFA players. What's going on here? They say to the manager, get the nets out. And we'll just let him cut a little corner off. Jerry does this, taking his, his precious time to, to cut off a corner of the net, which he's still got in his office in Cornea, where, from where he planned the, the purchase of a Davis Cup. Um, it's up there in a little uh, framed picture. And I helped him get it, and we got out of there with our hides intact. I even got the little helper who screwed things up, um, a Spain T-shirt from PK. So winner, winner, chicken dinner, everybody. And the question in my mind, 10 years on, because the story does get old, because it's its 10th anniversary, how the f*** do I get away with these things? Well, you must have, um, and you must have found a way to escape uh, South Africa before some kind of Interpol warrant was placed out with your name on it. So, I mean, what is the, what's the timeline for World Cup winners and their associated TV producers from moments like that to finally, after I don't know how many weeks away, being on your way back to, um, to home and your various families? I have to add this, that after Iker's heroics on the pitch, the fact that he'd become the first Spaniard to lift the World Cup, after all the nonsense I'd seen in the dressing room, as the team were beginning to leave the stadium, 
Spain's captain was willing to stop and speak to me. And this is how the conversation went. Ica, ¿cómo son las emociones ya una hora después de estar campeón del mundo? Pues todavía no lo queremos. Todavía no somos conscientes realmente de lo que hemos conseguido. It sounds the best. It sounds like all the hard work, all the support from my parents has been rewarded. It sounds like it means millions of people all around Spain will be celebrating. That's good enough for me. Right now, an hour after the whistle, I still can't believe it. I don't think any of us have realised quite what we've achieved. We are all filled with such enormous happiness that there's no point in even trying to imagine what this will mean in a week or a month or a year. It's a dream, but one which doesn't feel real yet. All of us who are here are so because of incessant work since we were kids, but also because of a radical change of style which was introduced to the Spain team four years ago. The decision was to rely on a generation of players who had been champion at under-16, under-19, under 20 and other levels, and now that decision has borne fruit. During the match, that moment when it was just me and Aryan Robin, it was eternal. So many things go through your head. Luckily, the coin fell heads when I called heads. Robin wasn't definitive in his finish, and we stayed alive. Now, when you say Ica Casillas world champion, it sounds incredible. I really still don't believe it. Back in Spain right now, I can hardly imagine what it's like. The truth is that youngsters of our country have the great good fortune of seeing their national team become world champions. I wish I'd had that opportunity as a kid. However, it's left me with the equal fortune of being the first Spanish captain to lift that World Cup trophy. We watch them go and they get in the bus, they head to the airport, they get on a plane in which there are sponsors, media, Manolo... Um, Pepe Rain and David Villa lead a massive Congo line they sing, they get drunk and they're going to arrive back to their second million audience in Madrid in two years where Pepe Reina will again play Master of Ceremonies um, we hand back our kit and head for a nightclub um, recommended to us by Arthur Duke, alright Dukester and we spend the rest of the night until about 7 in the morning in this nightclub very enjoyably too and we toddle off home um, to the airport the next day and, and that's the end of my World Cup. And it's been, um, we've missed out an awful lot. We've missed out an awful lot of escapades and karaoke and drinking and naughtiness. And I don't know if it's full seven weeks, but it would be several of the happiest, most productive, most testing, most interesting, most inspirational working weeks of my entire life. Heaven, probably not to be repeated, but utter, fantastic heaven. And for everybody who's bothered to read the book or listening to this podcast, for you and Martin who bothered to turn it into a book, um, I'm just pretty grateful because, you know, honestly, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yes, well, thank you for going over the, the memories again. And, I mean, I've said this at the end of every episode, but, you know, the, the book... Um, that Graham wrote on these three tournament wins, Spain, the inside story of La Rocca's historic travel, is available um, as a paperback, a hardback, or indeed an audiobook. So the audiobook is read by Graham. I think there's something like 17 hours of content on there, and as well as in-depth diaries of each of Euro 2008, this World Cup in, in 2010, and Euro 2012. There are also long chapters about the two coaches that took Spain to those triumphs and also the various systems that are in place at each level of that organization or at least were 
um, that were fuel for those successes. If you haven't read the book or listened to it, then it's one of my favorite books that we've published. What's left to say? Listen, if you've enjoyed, if you've enjoyed these episodes, the, I think we've done seven of them looking back over the World Cup, then I would like to ask you for one simple favor, and that is to dig around whichever app that you're listening to this on, whether it's Acast or iTunes or Spotify or Pocket Casts or anything else, and just leave a short review. Let us know what you thought of it. You know, that helps us out. doesn't take too much of your time. I think I'll leave the sign off to you, Graham. But thank, um, from, from Martin and I, thank you very much for, for digging through your scrapbook. Tell people if you've enjoyed it. I just say to them like this, Shabalala, you're going to enjoy the World Cup 2010 Revista. It's sharp, sharp. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.